This is episode number 16 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's been a few months since I've released an episode. I've been on a hiatus working on other projects uh, regarding topics that I'm interested in. However, the show is back and we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting topics going forward. With me on the show today, I have Brenda IT Reverie. And the topic of today's episode is job hunting for software engineering positions or application developer type positions. So anything on the technical development spectrum. I actually met Brenda last year at a conference called Native Script Developer Days. She had a lot of interesting things to say say about her story, um, about living in multiple countries, working in different countries. Um, So I thought she would be a great guest on describing the whole job hunting process uh, for a software engineer. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm here with Brenda IT Reverie, and we're going to be talking about job hunting as a software engineer. So this is a very uh, touching subject because a lot of engineers, whether you're not you're whether or not you're fresh out of school or if you're just looking for a new job, it's something that everyone has to face. So before we jump into that, I want to give Brenda a chance to introduce herself. So how are you doing, Brenda? Hello, I'm fine, thanks. Um, yeah, well, I'm Brenda. I am a software developer. I started doing some .NET development, then I moved to JavaScript, and now I'm more like a full stack, but my interest is mainly in in JavaScript. So lately I've been working more with React. And just recently I was looking for a job in in the US. So so yeah, I wanted to share this journey because I'm sure a lot of people can face the same issues I did. So before you were looking for a job in the United States, uh, where were you working previously? Are you allowed to say? Yeah, sure. Oh, I was working previously in London in a fintech startup called Capital on Capital on Tap. And actually, the curious thing is that I did my master, my undergrad in Mexico. Then I moved to Australia and I did my master's degree in Australia. And I worked in Australia for six years. Then I moved to London. And that's when I was working for Capital on Tap. And then I moved to the U.S. So I've been working in four different countries and job hunting in four different countries. And I have realized that it's it's quite different. Yeah, yeah, I, I imagine so. And I want to get into that in a second. So at your latest uh, job in London, uh, were you using JavaScript or were you using other technologies? In London, I was using .NET mainly and, and JavaScript, but we were not using any framework like Angular or React. It was Manila JavaScript jQuery. Sure. All right. So then uh, let's let's jump right into this and see see where we end up. So yeah. um, when it comes to searching for development positions, uh, what are some of the approaches that you took in order to get calls? Did- yeah. Well, actually, apart from first of all, I I I tried to set up what was my target company. Sure. And. At the beginning, I started in the normal classic sites like ZipRecruiter, Monster. Then I kind of searched in Hired, Interview Jet, which is more tailored to the stack, uh, 
whatever the, whatever your stack it is. And then after that, I went for sites like AngelList or building New York City in my case, because I am in New York City. So in these sites, you are more in contact, in direct contact with the startup. So you don't have to deal with the recruiters at any of those kind of, any of those things. Then I also attend meetups events, so HR meetups events specifically. So all of us are looking for for a job, and at the same time, there are people that are interested to get a, a developer. So it's a very direct interaction. I also find out that there are Slack channels where they have a specific general channels. Uh, I don't know question channels and a job uh, job channel. So when you can say that you are looking for a job and what are your skills and so on. So Slack channels also help a lot. I, I was surprised that joining some JavaScript channels or native script channels, and then you can find uh, that there is a channel specifically for jobs. Also, I let my GitHub account and my LinkedIn account and my Stack Overflow account open so people can approach me. And actually, in the end, that's how I found my job. Yeah. In the end, it was somebody that contacted me. I didn't have to contact them. So let's, um, let's get back into that in a second. So you mentioned meetups. So I'm going to go down the line on some of the stuff that you uh, just mentioned, and we'll drill a little deeper into it. So in the meetups, are you, are you saying that you went to job kind of uh, seminar meetups where, where it's a bunch of people looking for uh, new career positions, or are these just developer user groups um, that you were attending or maybe you were speaking at? You want to, you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, there's, I went to, to a couple of meetings. There was one that it was New York City Tech Talent. So that one is specifically for uh, HR. It's HR people that are organizing these meetups. So you meet uh, employers and employees or uh, yeah, people that are recruiting for developers in a specific. But at the same time, I went to other meetups that are more specific to my niche, which are React meetups or I don't know, JavaScript meetup. And in those meetups, usually at the end of the meetup, or it's like, oh, raise your hand, raise the hand who's looking for a job, or raise the hand, raise the hand for who is looking for a developer. So I went to different type of meetups. I even went to some meetups where you prepare your exams. So for instance, there's one called Woman Who Code. And there are some sessions where we have some algorithms, exams, or some testing questions. And at the end of the session, it's also, uh, you can also raise your hand and talk about yourself a little bit, saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. These are my skills. So it, definitely attending meetups is a good option. About how many people do you say usually attend these meetups with you? For um, for instance, in in the React, it's, for instance, in the React community, usually there are like one hundred, and maybe twenty five twenty five of them are looking for a job, and there are probably around ten people interested in in hire developers. Very interesting. So, mm -hmm. so you said you had most of your success with Stack Overflow and LinkedIn. Is that correct? Yes. So can you tell me a little bit more on that? Um, does Stack Overflow offer a way for people to reach out to you beyond comments? No, I, I think because I put on LinkedIn my Stack Overflow, profi oh, Overflow profile, they, they kind of dig too much into, my, into myself. <laughs> I think they did their, their 
their homework. So they found my Stack Overflow. They searched which which questions I have answered. Um, they went to my GitHub repository, check out my repos. So by the time that they gave me a call, they pretty much already knew a lot about myself. So it, it was actually great because by that time we didn't waste time. Obviously there were exams and there were there was a presentation and all of that stuff, but. Uh, they pretty much knew what, what I was, who I was, and what was my portfolio, and what were my skills. Yeah, so definitely. So Stack Overflow and GitHub, these sound like portfolio items. Would you say that having portfolio items is better than having um, just a resume? Do you think they help? Yeah, definitely. It does help a lot. And actually, even if we are not how, even if we are not looking for the, uh, for a job, uh, it's a it's a best it's the best way to learn to to remember what we did if we create a repo, and also to help the community in Stack Overflow because sometimes we also need to give something to the community. So it's it's yeah, it's the, I guess it's the best way for the others to let you know and also to give back something to the for the community to the community. Now, are Stack Overflow and GitHub your? Would you say those are your only portfolio items, or do you have any, anything else that you advertise about yourself when uh, when you're job hunting? In my case, I just advertise my blog. However, I don't keep it too. I don't post every month, for instance. So it's not very much. But I guess definitely developers like you, for example, that you have a podcast, or if you have spoken at some conferences, that even that's even better. So, yeah, um, I think in a couple of interviews, they asked they ask me if I have spoken in a specific conference or, the, or if I have participated in any podcast, but just as a curiosity, uh, just as, because they were curious. I think mainly the coding exercises and probably GitHub was the main, the main platform that I noticed a lot of people use. Yeah. So these opportunities that had asked you about conferences and podcasting and things like that, uh, what what type of positions exactly were they? Do you remember? Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I, I need to mention that I was applying at the beginning of my search. I was applying for senior developers, senior roles. Um, then through the journey, I realized that, for instance, for senior roles, that's when I realized that they were asking me, just out of curiosity, have you spoken at an at a conference or have you or do you have you spoken at a podcast? And obviously the exams were more complicated, I guess, for my skills level. Then I realized that I have to I start applying for mid-senior roles. And for mid-senior roles, I didn't find I didn't have those questions. I have other type of questions. Um, so I would say it also depends on what's the level that of what's the level that you are applying, if it's for a junior role or if it's a mid-senior or it's a senior role. So are you, are you saying that maybe if you're an, an entry-level uh, developer, you might need, not need to have those particular portfolio items? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't care too much about those ones. I guess if you have them, that's cool. It will be nice. But it's, yeah, they, they probably don't care too much about that. Yeah, well, maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a recruiter, so. I, but uh, yeah, definitely. If you you've probably um, applied quite a few places, um, so let's say that a recruiter calls you back. 
They've they've identified your information online. They're they're interested. What does the interview process typically uh, look like for any kind of software engineering or development type role? I could find that there was like I more or less the the, the, the process I'm going to explain is very general because I realized that I could classify the the processes in three different ways. So the first one is startups which have more than like between three to 10 people, which is very direct. They are usually you can negotiate uh, shareholding agreements or equity. The second was for people, uh, sorry, the second type of process is for startups which have around 50 to 100 employees. So they already uh, have seed capital and they are in a different stage. And then all the process is different when you apply for Facebook or Amazon or Microsoft. So I realized I applied for these three in a specific, right, at different companies. But in general, the process was usually first um, algorithms and data structure test in a, on a whiteboard in 45 minutes. So questions like, given a string containing only digits, restore it by returning all possible valid IP addresses combinations or write an efficient function that takes the stock prices and returns the best profit. These kind of questions where you have to use queues or arrays or you have to do a binary search, you have to play any sort of algorithm. And usually it's 45, 45 minutes in a whiteboard. At, usually at this stage, it's online. Then the second step, would be passing a computer science, after passing the computer science basics, usually you have to do another 30 or 45 minutes home coding test or a recording online test in platforms like JS Fiddle. So for instance, they provide you an API URL and you have to display the data in the front end using any framework or any language that you prefer, or they provide you with a piece of code with a couple of bugs, so you have to find, fix them and refactor the code if you have time. Or you have to write the architecture of an API and return an inventory. This second step is usually also online, and it's uh, 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, most, in my case, most of the times it was in, in, a, in an online recording system. So they are checking your thinking process. Then the third step uh, is like, they want to go is a deeper programming test where you have to implement, for instance, a full stack application. Uh, you have to implement the back end and the front end to create, read, update, and delete books from a database or something from a database. In my case, because it was a full stack, this will vary depending on if you are just a front end or if you are a back end. But the point of the story is that it's going to be a deeper exam. So usually it's a code uh, get home exercise. They give you 42 hours. So they tell you, just do this test. Give it back to me whenever you think it's ready. And again. So, so mm-hmm. let me stop you there for a second. So are you saying that this J- JS Fiddle and the uh, full stack implementation is the same step or are these two different steps? In some cases, I found them as a two different step. It's steps. Uh, in one case, for instance, I had it as two different steps. In some of the cases, it's one or another one. Okay, so um, let, let me step back a bit. So this the first step you said um, was a kind of algorithms 45-minute session, right? Um, yes. Is this strictly 
over the phone or is this something where they watch you code or um, do something interactive? Usually, I think it's over the phone. It depends. For instance, if it, it could over the phone, usually, uh, sometimes like in companies like Microsoft or Facebook, you can even go to the company and, and have a 45 minutes in the company with one developer there. So it's really up to you and up to the company if they want you inside on site or if it's a recording session. Sure. So you have these, you, you mentioned the first two steps. Um, what, what, is there any other steps that happen uh, after that between getting an offer or getting a rejection? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's, I found that the process in the U.S. is quite long. It's in my core, at least in my, on my experience, I, at least in two of, of the job applications that I did, it was after the, it was quite long, six steps. So at the moment, I'm just in the third one. So the fourth one, it's, uh, uh, oh, the fourth one is actually the only chance or usually it's at that point when I visit the company. So it's not online anymore. And then it's a couple of tests and rounds going into deeper knowledge like performance, security, software architecture, design patterns. So it depends. Sometimes it's just one test or it could be two or three. The, the, the fact is that they want to know um, how much, what is your knowledge, if it's deeper or if it's wider. There are some developers that... Um, they don't deep into the topics, but they are more general. So then they have to make different tests. But at, on the other hand, there are some developers that have deeper knowledge, a very solid knowledge of a, lang- a specific language. So probably one or two tests would be enough. Then after that step, um, there is, in some cases, you have another step, which is um, go a pair to, for a pair programming test to the comp- in, in, in-house where you interact with other developers and you have to do a specific task or sometimes they avoid uh, just this pair programming test. And usually the last step, at least in the startups, is to have a chat with the CEO and, and they evaluate your software skills. So more or less those are the process, the steps that I found. So it's a pretty aggressive process. I imagine that you feel like you need a vacation after that, right? Yeah, it was a full-time job to look for a job. And, and I assume that um, you, you had to go through this process multiple times for, for different companies, right? It, usually it's not the first, first time is the winner, or maybe it was in your case. I don't know. No, actually, no. In my case, I, I was looking for a job for a couple of months, and, but that's a tip, actually. Like, even though probably I had an offer at in the first month, there's no rush. And, and it's very stressful to look for a job. It's very stressful because you are in an exam every, at least twice a week. So it's very stressful to be on in this situation. And you have to prepare the interview. You cannot just show up at the interview. But at the same time, it's, no import, it's important not to rush in the decision or anything like that. Because the, the hard part in the end is to do the job. So it's hard to find the job, but then the hardest part is actually keeping that job and being happy in, the, in that job. So one of the tips would be not, not to rush it. I, I know it's stressful. It will be hard time because, well, in my case, I was lucky because I wasn't working as I moved from London to the U.S. I had all the time to research and apply for the interviews and do all these tests. But 
I cannot imagine somebody that is working full time and looking for another job. Aside, it's I guess it will take longer. Um, so it's something it needs to be planned. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, so at the time when they're when they're asking you these questions, let's um, and and you you have a pretty diverse background. Let's say you're you're applying for a React JS front end position. Let's use that in theor- theory. Um, are most of the questions that they ask you around uh, React JS or uh, not even close? It depends on the it depends on the company. Usually, they give you, for instance, in a in a big company, they care about more about the solid knowledge of basics more than the library or or the language itself. So it doesn't matter if it's React or JavaScript. They want to know if you know design patterns, if you know about security, if you know architecture. But that's in a big corporate, let's say, right? So. I have the impression that that's probably more related to Facebook or Microsoft. They they want that kind of thing. So they let you choose any language that you want as long as you can prove that you know design patterns or that you know how to architecture your 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 system, your application. However, in other cases, in, in some startups, in medium, small startups, they are more interested in React questions because they want to produce something as quick as possible because the, competi- the competition... Or the comp- yeah, the competition is winning, so you need to be super good at in React, so you can come here and produce something as quick as possible. So I'm not very interested in your basics. I just want you. I just want you to produce this. So it it, it will depend on the size and the, and the company. Interesting. So so another question I have regarding to the whole interview process. So uh, it, it's been quite a while since I've had to interview anywhere, but. Um, Back in the day, I recall that companies were using uh, puzzles or brain teasers. Is that a thing? Is that is that a legend or is that uh, accurate? Like, could you like could a you riddle? Give me an example. Uh, all right, sure. Um, say, let's say uh, uh, maybe a question like this comes up. Let's say uh, you have to move a mountain somewhere else. Um, how do you um, how do you allocate? Uh, the right amount of people or the right amount of time and the right amount of money, right? So some kind of weird question that doesn't doesn't really mean anything, right? It's kind of like a riddle. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, it's not very common, but yes, I did have one that had a, a question like that. I think they asked me something like, I have 99, 99 boxes and I, and I have, I just have 99 boxes and I have 100 pencils. Which which are the which is the possible probability that you get the box that does not have a pencil, something like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. it's it's true, <laughs> and it's very tricky. That sort of questions are very tricky. So these these type of questions still come up. Then it's not strictly just uh, programming and algorithms that come up in these technical interviews. From let's say that from ten interviews, I would say one per ten percent of of ten percent is. In ten percent of the cases, they ask you these kind of questions. All right, so so not that much, but it no. it is still a possibility. Yeah, it is still. Now, when you're when you're solving these technical questions, these algorithm questions and whatnot, is the is the correct solution always what the what the interviewer is looking for? No, actually, 
Uh, locally, it's not. I mean, I actually don't think there is a correct solution. Most of the times they are interested in see how much collaboration you have, how good you are in expressing your ideas and your thinking process, um, and, and how can you negotiate with them what could be the correct approach. Also, sometimes sometimes egos are also important. <laughs> so, well, not important. I mean, they don't want to work. Usually nobody wants to work with big egos, right? So yeah. having, being able to say, oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. Those kind of things are, are more important than the actual correct answer. Or even if you finish the test, sometimes if you don't finish the test, it's, it's okay. As long as you, the, the, whatever you did, it has the correct, has the, correct approach or best practices it doesn't have to be correct itself it's just best practices yeah definitely so i'm going to put you on the spot here i'm going to ask you a technical question and uh. yeah i know I, I we we didn't discuss this uh, but i'm going to ask you a technical question and i want you to walk me through your process um and we'll we'll see um if if this makes sense um okay. so, so let's say um, that you are given uh, a binary tree, you are giving a, given a linked list, and you are given a hash map. Which would be the most efficient way of the three uh, to find a value? Can you can you I mean can you pick uh, from 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 uh, most efficient to least efficient? Let's let's do that. Well, if the items are in order, so I. I... If the items are in order, probably the binary tree would be the weak, weakest option. The weakest. Um, the, did you the quickest? The quickest. All right. The, the best. The quickest. Yeah, the best. So the binary tree. But if the items are in order, um, the other one was a list, uh, linked list. Correct. Mm, the link. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on if the the items are in order or not. Sure. So, sorry, the the items are in order, or they are just random numbers, let's, and then you just let's say want to work. let's say that in all of these scenarios, everything is properly sorted. So they're in okay. order. So, in the, if they are in order, I would go for the binary. As being the best solution. Yeah. All right. Is that uh, all your final answers here? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I hope so. So I, I think that, I'm sorry to put this on you, but I think all of that is incorrect. <gasps> okay. So if, if you have a hash map, right, um, and you're looking for a value, um, mm-hmm. you're using a key to look up that value. So yeah. um, you'll know exactly where it is, uh, the spot. So that, that should be the most efficient, right? Yeah, that's true. And then, that's true. And then the binary search tree has the, the left and right children, right? So if it mm-hmm. so if you have a value that's let's say sorted properly, um, you can go down that line um, and and uh, traverse that tree correctly, right? Whereas with the linked list, uh, you would have to iterate over each result until you found what you were looking for, right? Yeah, which is time consuming. Yeah, so I mean, these are the type of questions that you might see in an interview, right? Yeah, exactly. But do you, but do you get the logic how we just explained what happened? Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I did get the logic. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is just for anyone who's listening. I mean, it wasn't to put you on the spot, Brenda, or, or make <laughs> you look bad or anything. But a lot of times, I think you will be puzzled and stumped on these interviews, right? They will, they will test your skills to the max, right? Mm-hmm. 
And it, it's exactly. a pretty rough process. Yeah, and it, and because you are in an interview, you are nervous. And then apart from that, if on top of that they ask you this kind of question, it's obviously double the double the stress, double the nervous nervousness. Yeah. So what I mean, you mentioned meetups, going to these meetups to get to help like women who code uh, interview practice. What are some of the other ways that you can prepare yourself for these technical interviews? Because there's a there's a lot of content to cover. Um, and you can't possibly know everything, right? Yeah, there are a lot of websites for there are a lot of web, websites for that. So, for instance, there is a good book called Cracking the Code Interview. Um, there is one website called Top Coder, Interview Cake, and Geek for Geeks. So. For instance, in Interview Cake, you have to pay and you have access to these type of questions just the, as the one that you just made. Um, and then you have the solution in different languages, in Python, in JavaScript, and some other ones. Um, in Geek for Geeks, there are also examples about like these questions, and those ones are answered by the community. So some of them have a deep explanation. Some of, those, some of them are, have just the answer, and that's it. Um, Career Cop, which is actually, I think it's from the same author that Cracking the Code interview. So that's another website which is quite good. I think probably those are the main websites. And there is one in a specific called Coding for Interviews. So that website has a sum up of all these websites that I, I have just told you. Um, that's for, to prepare the mainly the computer science part, the basics. Some other ones, there's another one for the real practice coding tests, like creating a, like create, delete, and update an app or any of those other questions, which is interviewing.io. That's like having an interview, an interview, anonymous technical interview practice with engineers from Google or Facebook and, and some other ones. Interesting. I, I, a lot of those that you mentioned, I've never heard of before. So that's, uh, that's interesting stuff. Um, one thing that I, I didn't bring up that I I wish I would have earlier in this podcast, uh, when we were talking about algorithms. So you, you have a typical computer science degree, correct? Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement here and I hope that somebody from, uh, is listening from one of these code schools, but when because I don't know anything about these code schools, really, but I'm going to make an assumption here. I'm going to make an assumption that people who graduate from coding schools, like coding boot camps, are you familiar with those? Yes. I'm going to make an assumption that they aren't taught typical algorithm stuff at these at these coding boot camps. Do you, do you think I'm incorrect on that? No, I think you're totally. I totally agree with you. I mean, so what do hmm. people like these uh, who who graduate from these coding schools? What do you think they have to deal with when it comes to these these interviews? Because they're going to be receiving the same questions that you and I uh, receive, right? And we have computer science degrees from some kind of university, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I met a couple of people in that situation because in those schools, sometimes they give them the data structures slide and it's just for three hours and, and that's it. Do your homework and try to study those data structures at home. So they have a very difficult time. I would recommend for them to, to take, um, to, to uh, some of them are already attending some meetups where they touch those specific topics, but it takes longer because 
I mean, just simply the questions you did, like I had some years of experience and I didn't get it right, right? So imagine how hard would it be for somebody which, who was an accountant and suddenly now is a developer and obviously they, they cannot cope with these questions. I did have like a cheat list. So for instance, the most important data structures that they should be studying would be array list, hash tables, stack, queues, trees, and graphs. So in terms of the algorithms, maybe the merge sort, the quick sort, the binary search, the deep first search, and the breadth first search, probably those would be the most important ones. And general concepts like big O time, big O space, recursion, and mainly memoization and dynamic programming are super common. So I would recommend to for anybody, not just people coming from the boot camps, but dedicate or allocate a lot of time into these topics because most of the times these the first interview is about those topics. So if you don't pass the first interview, then there's, there's no process. <laughs> so you just mentioned all kinds of topics that were in an algorithms class that I took in school, and that was a six-month program just on algorithms. So I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine what um, all of these other code school uh, people are, are facing. And again, I, I would love to have a coding school representative come on a future podcast to correct me on anything. Um, but for now, I'm just going to make that assumption. Safe to say? Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, Your yeah. assumption is correct, actually. Sure. Well, we'll, we'll let we'll see if somebody else comes on the show to to say otherwise. Uh, is there any last minute uh, words of wisdom or advice that you want to give to the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, I mean, well, some some tips are would be like to prepare your even before you start looking for a job. Write what you're looking for in your next position, what will motivate you to wake up. Because once you start in the process, it's easy to distract, to get distracted with the salary or with the name of the company and those other factors. So that would be one thing. The other thing is that interviewing is a two-way street. You should also evaluate the form, the the way they wrote the job description or they treat you along the process and the course of the interviews itself. Um, so try to read the red flags. Like I personally, for instance, don't like rockstar developer or guru. I, I find that kind of, maybe it's not that scary. It's just that I don't like that kind of language. And that for me is a red flag. But I mean, whatever your red flags are, just keep them in mind and, and keep Keep in mind that it's a two-way street evaluation. As I said before, don't rush it. Um, do iterations along the process. I, I took it as a sprint, as a sprint, as a agile methodology. Like every four weeks or every three weeks, is it was an evaluation, and then, and then a retrospective of what did you did well, what you did wrong, and then fix next time. Um, and take notes, of course. Um, so ask for feedback as well. And target very mainly the, the companies. Don't target your company first. First interview in all the companies and at the end. Um, also, another thing that I found out just after applying, after finishing my job hunting, is that it has to be, we have to be very careful when signing the non-competition agreements or asking for equity 
and those kind of things. So don't be scared of asking for those things. Just make sure you know where you're asking for. Yeah, that's solid advice. So uh, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with you after this podcast episode, do you have any ways that you uh, can be reached, like uh, Twitter or maybe a personal website um, that they can find you at? Yes, usually they can find me in my in as an IT reverie, and in Twitter I am as a Bit Reverie. So my my blog is IT Reverie. In GitHub I am as IT Reverie. Just in Twitter I am as Bit Reverie. Awesome. Well, I think this was a great episode. I think uh, plenty of people will find a lot of value in it, and I appreciate you being on the show today, Brenda. Thanks so much, Nick, and thanks for having me. I hope you found a lot of the information that we had on this particular episode valuable and hopefully it'll help you when it comes to searching for your next software engineering or application development type position. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you went in to iTunes or wherever you downloaded it from and left it a five-star rating and said something nice about the episode itself so that way future listeners can get an idea on how it might benefit them. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode, reach out to me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is N-R-A-B-O-Y. So that's my first initial and then my last name. I'm very responsive. Just shoot me a message and we can see if we can line something up so that way we can teach the community who listens to this podcast uh, something cool and useful. And that concludes episode number 16.